I imagine that a good many of you have had occasion to watch some of the congressional hearings up in Washington. And to whatever extent you've been exposed to that, I feel sorry for you. It has been a mess, a true disaster. But if you have watched any of that or if you know anything about how those sort of proceedings take place, you know that witnesses are challenged about comments that they may have made, uh, comments that have been reportedly ascribed to them. And so basically the question would come to such an individual, did you or did you not say, and then there would be some quote that has been ascribed to that individual. Anytime that that happens, of course, there are a lot of accusations associated with those reported statements. Uh, And often there are a lot of denials of people. I didn't say that. I did not say it. Or that's taken out of context or something of that nature. But what you say, what a person says may be challenged, believed or not believed. The fact is, though, that if you can prove that an individual said something, then you can build a case based upon what they have said. Now today, we want to deal with some arguments against Jesus concerning what he said or did not say, what he taught or did not taught. And what we really want to show is that there are a lot of religious folks in the world today who are doing sort of what happens in those congressional hearings. They are ascribing to Jesus things that he never said. And so our lesson this morning is very simply to highlight some things that Jesus did not say. Um, We we, we want to emphasize, of course, generally the positive things that Jesus taught. That would be our primary intention. But in, in our lesson this morning, we just want to emphasize there are some things he didn't say that people apparently generally believe that he did and they are wrong. We stop here just briefly to thank you for being here. I tell you what, a picture-perfect Lord's Day in Middle Tennessee. The weather is just gorgeous, and we are well-blessed. And and on top of all those sorts of blessings in the physical world is our, our spiritual opportunity that comes to us, the blessings that we have through our Lord Jesus Christ, and the very fact that we can assemble together today to worship God and to encourage one another is truly a blessing that we need to be grateful for. Thanks for being here today and thanks to those of you who are visiting with us. Please come again every time you have a chance and we always say we're open to your questions. If you have any questions about what you see or hear uh, during our time together this morning, please ask those questions and we'll try to answer. Let's talk about some things that Jesus never said. One of the things that people apparently believe that he said is that one religion is as good as another. I think that's generally assumed to be something that Jesus would acknowledge. One religion is as good as another. I suppose that people who think this sort of view religion maybe like you would view choosing where you're going to eat lunch today. What are you going to to do for lunch today? If you didn't uh, fix something at home, I talked to someone earlier who said, well, mom, Put something in the crock pot earlier today. Good good for you. But some of the rest of us will be going out to get something for lunch today. And, of course, there's all kinds of choices. Uh, Seems like there's a Mexican restaurant on every corner these days. But you might choose chicken. You could get hot chicken. You could get 
Kentucky Fried. I, I, there's all kinds of chicken choices. Uh, you could get Chinese. You get, I mean, just go down the list. And one's as good as another. It's all fast food, right? I mean, and, and, and it'll satisfy your hunger. It may not be the most healthy thing, but you can get full. And one's as good as another, really, when it comes to that. I think that a lot of people believe religion is of that sort. All religions are basically the same, and one is as good as another. Do what you like, because basically it's all equal out there. There's no significant difference. And that being the case, since this is such a popularly viewed opinion that one religion is as good as another, surely Jesus said that somewhere or another. Surely we could find a statement from Jesus in which he suggested one religion is as good as another. Well, the fact of the matter is you can't find that. Jesus never said that. Instead, we read a familiar passage in Matthew chapter 15, for example. This is just one place, but in Matthew chapter 15, beginning of verse 7, Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh to me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. We very often key in on this expression, in vain they do worship me, with the word vain meaning no good, worthless, not accomplishing anything. They're worshiping, but it's not any good. It won't accomplish anything. The reason being they're teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Now, we have highlighted that verse so many times, but it certainly indicates that you could worship And it be no good. Therefore, not every form of worship, not every kind of religion is as good as another, right? There's some out there that are vain worship. In that same context, Jesus went on to say, Then came his disciples, said to him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this say? Basically, his disciples came and said, Whoa, Jesus, you kind of got some people upset there. There were some people who were offended. This actually was not very politically correct of Jesus to say that you could worship in vain. Even in his day, there were people, oh, that's kind of offensive, Jesus, to suggest that maybe people not doing right religiously. Jesus answered and said, every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. When I read that rooted up, it sort of makes me think of what you do in the garden. And in the garden, you planted your crops, and they may come up in this row, but there's a lot of weeds that come up too. And what you've got to do if you want your garden to prevail, you've got to pull those weeds up. You've got to root them out. And that basically is the idea here. Every plant which my heavenly father has not planted. Now, what's the plants under consideration? It's religion, right? It's religious service. Every plant which my heavenly father has not planted shall be rooted up. So just using that one passage, and I think we could multiply them, obviously, many times over. We could say that Jesus never did say that. Jesus never even intimated that one religion is as good as another. Although people really believe it, Jesus never taught that. In fact, he taught just the opposite. Some people apparently think that Jesus held the view that you can really interpret Scripture any way you want to. Uh, This idea actually, I think, sort of underlies the previous point. And the reason why all religions are okay, one's as good as another, is because the fact of the matter is the Bible is just so hard to understand that it's open to all different kinds of interpretation. And therefore, you interpret it one way and I interpret it a different way. And and that just has to be the case. 
You can interpret the Scripture any way you want, and that will lead you to applying it in different ways. We have pointed out so often that any view like that is a terrible indictment against God. If you stop to consider it, what's, what's that saying? When it's saying basically you just, you just interpret it however you, can, however you want to, because it's all so confusing anyway, you can't make any sense of it to begin with. So you just interpret it anyway, and I'll interpret it my way, and we'll just live with that. That is an indictment of God. The, the suggestion is that the all-powerful, almighty, all-knowing God could not reveal a message to us that we could comprehend. That He wasn't able to put it in terms that we could understand. And therefore, you're just going to have to understand it on your own, and you're just going to have to interpret it in your own way. I'm telling you, that is just absolutely wrong. To illustrate that Jesus never taught anything of that nature. Let me take you to a passage in Matthew chapter 22. Beginning verse 23, the same day Sadducees, the same day Sadducees came to him who say there's no resurrection. And they ask him a question. Okay, so it's the Sadducees who are going to challenge Jesus here. As it points out, these were a sect of the Jews that did not believe in life beyond the grave. They say there is no resurrection. Uh, and, and so these were, these were really secular Jews. They, 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 they were Jews in practice, but it was, they didn't believe in many of the spiritual truths that others did. And specifically, they did not believe in the resurrection. And so they presented a case to Jesus. They came to him and they presented this challenge to him. And you remember, the, you remember this. They told about a man who was married and he died. And, and his brother, according to the law of Moses, the law of Moses said this is what should happen. His brother married his widow to raise up children to his dead brother's name. Well, that brother died too, no children. The next brother married, no children, he died. Seven brothers in all. This woman was married to each of seven brothers. And the Sadducees, who th- they thought they had him here. You know, you're saying, Jesus, you believe, you and these other Jews believe that there's life beyond the grave. Our question to you is, based upon that scenario, if there is a resurrection, if there is life beyond the grave, in the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? For they all had her. We got you, Jesus. We, we got you because you, you, you won't be able to answer this question. She was married to each of the seven brothers. If there is a resurrection, think how crazy that would be, they said. Whose wife would she be? She was married to all of them. Now, Jesus answers very directly. He says, you are wrong. Right there is the part I want you to concentrate on. Jesus said, you are wrong. Because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. Jesus said, you are wrong. Well, that's, that would be offensive to a lot of people today. You're not supposed to tell anybody they're wrong about anything. They can interpret the Scripture any way they want. A lot of people are going to be shocked in judgment to discover that they were wrong. And so, uh, I just want to use this one case in the life of Jesus to, to say, Jesus never suggested you can interpret the Scriptures any way you want. He actually said concerning their interpretation of Scripture, you are wrong about your interpretation of Scripture. So again, Jesus never suggested anything like that, did He? Another thing that Jesus never said 
was that ignorance will be an excuse in judgment. I was reading just recently about police officers making traffic stops. And I was particularly interested in the common excuses offered when, when a person is stopped by a policeman in a traffic violation, speeding violations in particular. And just over, the, the survey said that just over 50% of the people who are stopped for a speeding violation offer the excuse that they either didn't know they were speeding or they weren't aware of what the speed limit was in that particular section of the road. So over half the people who get stopped are offering the excuse, I didn't know, I was ignorant in the matter. Either I didn't know I was speeding, I didn't know what the speed limit was here. The story went on to say that that excuse typically is not successful. You can argue that to a policeman if you want to, but the chances are you're still going to get the speeding ticket, even if you plead ignorance. I want to tell you, that's, that is, a, I think, an idea that a lot of people have about their accountability before God. They're just going to plead ignorance. I didn't know better. I want to tell you, that's not going to work in the judgment day either. Knowing and believing truth is essential. Jesus said in John 8, 24, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So unless you believe. In other words, it's, it's contingent upon that. You have to believe that I am he, or you're going to die in your sins. Later in that chapter, he went on to say, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. You will know the truth. The truth will make you free. And so again, knowing and believing truth is essential. And what's implied there is that we better be busy knowing this truth. If it is the truth that will make you free, and unless you know it and believe it, you're going to die in your sins, then the fact of the matter is, we better get busy learning. Ignorance is no excuse. That's what Jesus taught, right? Jesus didn't say, well, if you're ignorant, it'll be okay. If it's ignorant, it'll be overlooked on your, in your case. He never said that. He said, you better believe, you better know and believe the truth. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 14, Jesus said, and I think we had a lesson on this just recently, if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. Both shall fall into the ditch. Well, the blind leaders, maybe they, maybe they should be accountable. They should, if they're going to try to lead people, they should know better. So I, I could buy that, that the, the blind leaders should be held responsible. But the followers, well, that just doesn't seem fair to me. They didn't know. How were they supposed to know better? That's not fair. That might be the way we reason. But Jesus said both are going to fall in the ditch. The leaders and those who follow those leaders blindly will fall into the ditch, suggesting eternal consequence. I think the point is clearly they, they had the opportunity to know. They could have investigated. They didn't need to blindly follow. They should have known better. We have the opportunity to know better. And all men have the opportunity to know better. Don't go, my point here is very simple. Don't go to the judgment thinking that you can offer the speeders, the, the traffic speeder excuse, I didn't know, I, I didn't know. Well, you better know. Jesus never suggested that ignorance would be an excuse in the final judgment. Jesus never said, that to be saved, all you have to do is believe. Now, maybe of the things that we've listed here, this, this may be 
more popularly believed than anything else. Uh, you would think that if this, if this was true, that all you have to do to be saved is just to believe. You would think if that was true, we would surely be able to find some statement of Jesus that suggested that. That all you have to do is believe. I mean, if, if it's true, and lots of people think it is true, surely somewhere we could find a statement from Jesus that suggested just believe. That's all you have to do. But the fact of the matter is not there. Right? You just simply can't find that. Instead, you, you read this statement in the Sermon on the Mount. This is in the, in the text that Gordon read for us earlier from Matthew seven twenty one. Not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Whoa, wait a minute. Jesus said there's something to do. Really? There's something to do? If there's something to do, then that's not salvation by faith only, is it? Look at some of the things that Jesus said you have to do. For instance, in Luke chapter 13, verse 3, I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Jesus said you have to repent. That's something you have to do. Now, right there, if we just were to stop there, most people say, okay, I can buy that. Repentance suggests stop sinning, turn from your sins. I can buy that. You need to do that. In Matthew chapter 10, beginning verse 32, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I, also, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whoso, whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father in heaven. Well, I have to confess my faith in Jesus. Okay, I'm okay with that. Most everybody's okay with that. Most everybody's okay with repent and confess. But Jesus also said in Mark 16, 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Oh, wait a minute. Jesus taught baptism. Oh, no. Here's where we're going to get major disagreement. Lots of people are going to say, no, no baptism. You don't have to be baptized. That's a work. You're saved by faith. And when they say saved by faith, they mean saved by faith only. And yet their own position contradicts that. They, they agree you have to repent. They agree you have to confess. They want to exclude baptism and they want to say faith only. But that's inconsistent with what they already acknowledged, right? They already acknowledged confession and repentance. They don't really believe in faith only. But again, the simple point is you would think that if that position is true, surely somewhere Jesus would have taught salvation by faith only. That's all you have to do. He didn't. He never did. In fact, he taught things like repentance, confession, and baptism for the remission of sins. Well, I want to add just one more thought. and We could probably expand this list considerably. But one more thought about things that Jesus never said. And this is directed toward those of us who are already Christians. Jesus, said that, Jesus never said that your problems will vanish if you follow him. Uh, life's got problems. Uh, this is, I think, and I, I believe you would agree with me, this is a particularly stressful time. Uh, there's just all kinds of things going on. You know, of course, this coronavirus business just doesn't seem like it will go away. And I think people are kind of really sort of a, a reaching a breaking point concerning the stress associated with that. And, and of course, that and other things have brought on financial concerns and uh, and then there's the, the civil unrest that we see uh, portrayed in the news continually. 
And I'm telling you, I just feel I just feel burdened down by all of these troubles. I thought that if I was a Christian, this would all go away. I thought that, that the promise was that I've, if I would obey the gospel and be a child of God, all my problems would disappear. No. Jesus never said that. Jesus never promised that this life's problems would disappear. Jesus instead taught sort of the opposite. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, Think not that I am sent, that I am come to send peace on the earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am to come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be those of his own household. Jesus, Jesus never suggested all the problems of this life will go away if you'll be my faithful disciple. In fact, he, he taught that if you will be his faithful disciple, it's going to bring on some problems in your life likely. Right? In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, he said to them all, If any man come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Let me ask you a question. Jesus said this is going to be necessary, right? You're going to have to take up your cross daily. What is that? What kind of an image does that present in your mind's eye? Well, when I think about taking up a cross, carrying a cross, the thing that comes to me is the picture of Jesus struggling under the weight of his cross as he's being led out to Calvary to be crucified. Isn't that what's in your mind when you talk about bearing a cross? I mean, that was horrible. You talk about horrible. That's a terrible scene to even imagine Jesus struggling under the weight of that cross as he's being taken out of Calvary. But he says, I got to do that myself. I got to take up my cross. Whoever take up his cross every day. And so the suggestion is not, this is going to be a carefree life. All the problems are going to disappear. If you'll be my disciple, Jesus said, I'll make sure you don't ever have another problem in the world. He didn't say that, did he? And so we need to understand that these are troubling times. There have always been troubling times in in this life. We're serving the Lord now, doing his will, because we owe it to him, but also because he's promised us a better eternal future if we'll be his disciples here now, even if there are troubles associated with that. So, as I said, I think you could probably expand the list of things that Jesus never said But here, I think, are at least five things that people commonly believe that are just wrong. Jesus did not say that. And and we'd be wrong to to act upon the presumption that he said something he never said. And so hopefully uh, those points are worthy of our consideration this morning. We're going to end our sermon with a song of invitation. As we sing this song, we ask everybody, make sure you're right with God. If that means you need to become a Christian by obeying that simple gospel plan of salvation, we, we want you to do that and we offer our assistance to you in doing that. That simple plan is hear the truth, believe it, repent of your sins, confess your faith in Jesus, be baptized for the remission of sins. If you understand that and if you're ready to obey that, uh, we'd be anxious to assist you. If you need more study about that, say so so we can study with you and you can make that informed decision. Let us know how we can help. If you're a Christian already, but you've not been faithfully serving your Lord. Come back to Him in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing this song.